I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. I am your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. Today, we delve into the intriguing history of a family that endured both the heights of favor and the depths of disgrace in the volatile court of the Tudors, the Poles. Margaret Pole, Countess of Salisbury, stands as one of only two women in 16th century England to be peeresses in their own right, with no titled husband. She was a fascinating woman of strength and tenacity. She represents the primary focus of our narrative. Yet her sons, Reginald and Henry Poole, bring their own unique twist to the tale, and her grandson, Henry Poole the Younger's mysterious disappearance, as well as Reginald Poole's religious defiance against Henry VIII, their lives epitomized the precarious nature of Tudor court life. In this episode, we will unravel the dramatic chronicle of the Pole family, a narrative replete with royal lineage, religious descent, political intrigue, and a series of unfortunate events that seem to shadow the family line. But as usual, before we get started, your reminder about TudorCon. So we're like three months away, guys. The clock is ticking and it is really time to start planning your trip. So here's the thing. On Saturday, I'm recording this on Tuesday, May 23rd. On Saturday, I'm taking down the four-month payment plan and replacing it with a two-month plan. That's because um, we are less than four months away. So if you want to pay over four months, you have until Friday evening to get that ticket. Um, Otherwise, I'll have it for, you know, two months. And that'll happen on um, Saturday. And by next week, I will have information on the digital tickets. So I know a lot of you want to come virtually. And so we will have the digital option available as well. And I will be sending out that information and making those announcements as well. So englandcast.com slash tutorcon for all of the information that you need to book your trip and reserve your spot. We're going to have so much fun. September 8th through 10th, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. 
We're going to have new friendships, amazing talks with amazing authors. Some people I'm super excited about who haven't been before. Um, Tracy Borman, Seamus Akali is going to talk about Henry VIII's health ailments. Um, we're going to have Adrian Dillard back, some familiar faces, some new faces. It's just going to be such a fun time. So englandcast.com slash TudorCon to reserve your spot. All right, let's begin with Margaret Poole, the resolute matriarch of the Poole family, whose life was inextricably linked to the fortunes and misfortunes of the Tudor court. So I will say also, I did an episode on her with Melita Thomas of Tudor Times several years ago, maybe six years ago now. So I will link to that in the show notes and you can listen to that. And that goes into much more depth about her uh, individually. So that's a little side note. But for the purposes of this episode, we're looking at an overview of the three generations. So let's start with Margaret. She was born into the royal Plantagenet lineage as the niece of two kings, Edward IV and Richard III. She was the daughter of George, Duke of Clarence. He's the one who was executed for treason, supposedly drowned in a barrel of Malmsey wine. If you, um, that's, that's the story of it anyway. And if you watch, I guess, what was it? The, the Red Queen or the White Princess, one of those shows um, depicts it a little bit gruesomely. But um, anyway, that's the story is that he was drowned in a barrel of Malmsey wine. Anyway, her royal pedigree did not spare her from experiencing the trials and tribulations that came with living in the Tudor era. Of course, after Henry Tudor came to the throne, her loyalty was suspect. She was married to Sir Richard Poole, a steadfast supporter of the Tudor cause. Through this marriage, Margaret found herself serving as a key member of the court of Henry VII and his wife, Elizabeth of York. Her husband's death in 1504 left Margaret in financial hardship, a widow with five young children to raise alone. It's also important to note that her brother, Edward Plantagenet, the 17th Earl of Warwick, was the last male member of the House of York. As a potential claimant to the throne, he posed a significant threat to the newly established Tudor dynasty under Henry VII. So Edward was kept in the Tower of London for most of his life to prevent any potential rebellions on his behalf. And quite tragically, in 1499, he became involved, likely unwittingly, in a plot by Perkin Warbeck, who claimed to be the younger son of Edward IV and was an active pretender to the English throne. It's uncertain how much Edward understood of the plot, um, but he was still executed for treason on November 28, 1499. This marked the end of the direct Plantagenet line and removed one of the significant threats to the security of the Tudor monarchy under Henry VII. It was also a tragedy that undoubtedly un impacted Margaret deeply, contributing to the difficult and often dangerous circumstances that she and her family faced in years to come. So her life did take a turn for the better when her cousin Henry VIII ascended to the throne. Recognizing her royal blood and her impeccable loyalty, he restored her title, making her the Countess of Salisbury in her own right and appointed her as the governess of Princess Mary, his only legitimate child at the time. But life in the Tudor court was fickle. The tides of fortune were prone to sudden shifts. As the years passed, 
Margaret's unwavering Catholic faith, coupled with her son Reginald's public denunciation of Henry VIII's divorce from Catherine of Aragon, put her in direct opposition to the king. This conflict of interest would lead to a tragic downfall for Margaret and her family. In 1538, she was stripped of her lands and titles, and she was imprisoned in the Tower of London, and her fate was sealed in 1541 when, at the ripe age of 67, she was executed by order of Henry VIII in a chilling display of the king's willingness to eradicate any perceived threat to his rule. Her death marked the tragic end of a life that bore witness to the dramatic highs and lows of court politics and her story embodies the precariousness of life as a member of the Tudor court, where loyalty could turn into suspicion and royal favor into downfall in the blink of an eye. So now let's turn our attention to Reginald Pole, the second son of Margaret, whose life was just as entwined with the tumultuous politics of the Tudor era. He was born in 1500, carefully groomed for a career in the church. His mother sent him to the best schools, he excelled in his studies, he pursued his education at the University of Padua in Italy, he focused on theology and the law. Little did he know then that these studies would eventually put him at odds with the most powerful man in England. In the midst of his budding career as a scholar, he was thrust into the center of a political maelstrom. He was requested by Henry VIII to support his bid to annul his marriage to Catherine of Aragon. But Reginald was a man of profound faith and principle. And, you know, distance makes you a little bit bolder. So he was all the way in Italy and he didn't think about his family that was back in England. So not a lot of thought for the well-being of the folks back home. He took a bold and dangerous step. He wrote a treatise boldly denouncing the king's actions, publicly taking a stance against Henry's divorce and break from the Roman Catholic Church. In a letter entitled Pro Ecclesiasticae Unitas Defensione, or Defense of the Unity of the Church, which, you know, kind of sounds like what Henry wrote against Martin Luther, like a decade and a half before, but that's a different story. Reginald here argued against Henry's claims defending the sanctity of his marriage to Catherine. It was a direct confrontation and a clear rebuke to the king's authority. This public dissent did not sit well with Henry, one can imagine, who was swift and brutal in his retribution. Reginald, of course, was safe in Italy, and so his family bore the brunt of the king's wrath. His brother, Geoffrey, was arrested on a trumped-up charge of treason. And of course, like I said, their mother, Margaret, was executed. Reginald's influence, however, continued to grow. In 1536, he was made a cardinal by Pope Paul III. Later, in 1554, he would return to England, actually to serve as Archbishop of Canterbury under the reign of Queen Mary I, Henry's staunchly Catholic daughter. Reginald died just 12 hours after Mary in November of 1558, marking the end of not just the Poole family's influence, but also of Catholicism as the dominant faith in England. The death of Reginald and Mary signaled the end of an era and the dawn of Elizabethan England, in which we would see Protestantism firmly established. 
Let's pivot now to the life of Henry Poole, Lord Montague, the eldest son of Margaret Poole. As we delve into his story, we see yet another Poole family member who found himself in the eye of the Tudor political storm. He was born in 1492. He was well-placed at the Tudor court. He was educated with the future King Henry VIII. And like his mother, he was a devout Catholic, something that would, of course, ultimately lead to his downfall. Henry Poole was made a Knight of the Bath at the coronation of Henry VIII and soon rose to become a member of the Privy Council. He was made Baron Montague in 1514. He married Jane Neville, and they had three children, one of whom was Henry Poole the Younger, whose mysterious disappearance we will discuss later. Despite his connections, Montague was soon to find himself on the wrong side of the king. Of course, when the question of the divorce rose, he attempted to remain neutral, something that wouldn't work. And of course, with his brother in Italy not being neutral, the fallout would impact the entire family. Despite his efforts to distance himself from his brother's controversy, he was arrested in 1538, along with his brother Geoffrey and his cousin Henry Courtenay, Marquis of Exeter. The charge was treason, accused of sympathizing with Catholic rebels in the Pilgrimage of Grace, and having corresponded with Reginald, who was a known enemy of the state. Like his mother, he was executed in January of 1539. His titles and properties were forfeit to the crown, and he was attainted, meaning his descendants were disinherited. Henry Poole's story, like those of his mother and brother, underscores the perilous political climate of the Tudor court, where shifting allegiances and religious conflicts made survival a precarious proposition. There was another son, Geoffrey, who had a less high-profile role. He held various minor roles at the Tudor court, such as gentleman usher to Henry VIII. However, he was often overshadowed by his more politically active family members. In the 1530s, again, he was implicated in the treason of his brother, Lord Montague, and the Marquess of Exeter, and he was arrested. Under pressure, Geoffrey provided information against his own family contributing to the execution of Montague and his mother, Margaret. On the 4th of December, 1538, he faced a trial for treason. He submitted a guilty plea. Following the trial, he made actually two attempts to end his own life in the tower. The guilt he felt seems to have led to mental instability. He was eventually pardoned on the 4th of January, 1539, but the scars of his experience were deeply ingrained. After his mother's execution, Geoffrey's family possessions were largely confiscated by the crown. However, by 1544, some of these lands were reinstated to him. Despite the apparent restoration of some normalcy, obviously the trauma remained and he decided to leave England in 1548. Also, his son Arthur was still in prison. So things were not normal, despite the fact that they were starting to get back to some semblance of it. He traveled to Rome, where he sought solace and forgiveness from his brother, Reginald Pohl, now a cardinal, of course. He was overwhelmed by guilt and admitted his feeling of unworthiness for his part in his brother and his mother's death. Cardinal Pohl presented Geoffrey to the Pope for absolution and later sent him to the Bishop of Liege in Flanders. Here he was granted a monthly allowance of 40 crowns and spent most of his time until the end of Edward VI's reign. His efforts to return home continued as his son Arthur was finally released from prison in 1552 
and went to serve the Duke of Northumberland. Geoffrey wrote to the Duke requesting safe passage home. However, his appeals went unanswered, and he was notably excluded from a general pardon issued at the end of Parliament in 1552. It was only after Queen Mary ascended to the throne in 1553 that Geoffrey could return to England. During Mary's reign, the Poole family enjoyed the royal favor. However, when Arthur sought to serve the court of Elizabeth I, his request was rejected in 1561. This was also the same year he was jailed for participating in mass. In 1562, he was actually recognized as a potential successor to the throne. Of course, Elizabeth didn't have any children. He then tried to rally the support of France and Spain to endorse the Pole family's claims. Not the smartest move. Upon realizing that the Guise faction in France would not back his claim, he proposed a deal. He would support Mary, Queen of Scots' claim to the English throne in exchange for the title of Duke of Clarence. Honestly, the, like, it, the, just the forethought here wasn't that great. This, of course, resulted in his imprisonment. Surprised much? Along with his brothers, Edmund and Geoffrey, this occurred sometime around 1562, 1563, and was due to their alleged conspiracies to claim the English throne. Arthur was convicted of treason in 1563 at the Tower of London, and he was incarcerated until his death in 1570. His confinement was in the Beauchamp Tower, where an inscription remains that translates to, to serve God, to undertake penance, to obey fate, is to reign. A Pole, 1564. We've already talked about how treacherous life was for the Pole family due to their religious beliefs and their perceived threat to all of the Tudor monarchs, really, from Henry VII um, to Henry VIII. Not Mary, but then also to Elizabeth. There is one member whose fate remains a mystery even to this day, and that's the youngest son of Henry Pole, Lord Montague, Henry Pole the Younger. His story is one of the most fascinating yet heartbreaking of the family saga. In 1538, while he was still a boy, Henry the Younger was arrested alongside his father and uncle, Geoffrey. All three were taken to the tower. Many, of course, of those who entered the tower never left, and young Henry Poole was one of them. He was not formally charged or put on trial like his father and uncle. Still, he was also not released following their executions either. He remained a prisoner in the Tower of London, his fate hanging in the balance. At this point, he became a pawn in a much larger game of power. Henry the Younger was the last male heir of the Poole family, therefore potentially a focus for any future Catholic rebellion or a claimant to the throne from the Plantagenet line. This made him a danger in the eyes of Henry VIII. Yet there's no record of his death in the tower. He simply vanishes from the historical record. So what happened to Henry Poole the Younger? The lack of records surrounding his fate has led to multiple theories. Some historians believe he was quietly executed in the tower, perhaps to avoid drawing attention. Others speculate that he might have been killed unofficially without a trial or formal charge. However, there is a more intriguing theory. Given the political implications of his existence, could he have been smuggled out of the tower and taken to the continent for his own safety? It wouldn't be the first time a high-value prisoner had escaped the tower's walls. Yet, of course, there is no substantial evidence to support this. The disappearance of Henry Poole the Younger is one of those haunting historical mysteries that may never be definitively solved. 
His story, like those of his grandmother, father, and uncle, illustrates the precariousness of life in the Tudor court, particularly for those with royal blood. Henry's fate, whatever it may have been, underlies the ruthless measures taken by Henry VIII to secure his throne and the tragic costs borne by families like the Poles caught in the crossfire of religious and political upheaval. Their story serves as a poignant reminder of the human stories behind the grand narratives of Tudor history. The Poole family was unique in Tudor England for their close ties to the old Plantagenet dynasty. As the family of a potential heir to the throne, their lives were inextricably linked to the power dynamics of the court. This made them both influential figures and targets of suspicion and envy. Margaret Poole's steadfast loyalty to the Catholic faith and her Plantagenet lineage made her a revered figure among England's Catholics and a symbol of resistance against the religious changes brought about by the Reformation. Even today, she is recognized by the Catholic Church as a martyr, a symbol of religious resistance in the face of political expediency. Reginald Pole's theological writings and his role as Archbishop of Canterbury during the reign of Mary I made a lasting impact on the English Church. His efforts to restore Catholicism during the Counter-Reformation played a significant role in shaping religious discourse and policy in Tudor England. And even the unfortunate Henry Poole and his son left an indelible mark on history, their tragic fates serving as a stark reminder of the deadly political game being played during this era. The mysterious disappearance of Henry Poole the Younger adds a layer of intrigue and mystery that continues to captivate historians and readers today. So as we close this chapter on the Poole family, we remember them not just for their tragic ends, but for their lasting impact on Tudor history. And we will reflect on their courage and tenacity, faith and unwavering dedication to their beliefs, as well as maybe the fact that they weren't the best decision makers. But their story is a poignant reminder of the turbulent world of the Tudor court, and their legacy continues to resonate throughout history. So we will leave it there. Remember to learn more about TudorCon. Reserve your spot September 8th through 10th at englandcast.com slash TudorCon. I will be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, keep questioning, keep learning, and stay curious. Goodbye, my friends. Blow, northern wind, who may be sweating. Blow, northern wind, blow, blow, blow. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.